Father, we're grateful this morning that we can even be here gathered together and called your people. Those who have been born from above because of faith in Jesus Christ. The work of your Son in accomplishing redemption, in, in accomplishing rescue, in accomplishing ransom, in deliverance, in salvation for those who believe. And thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit, whom you have sent into our hearts so that we can cry out, Abba, Father, so we can look to the author of physical and spiritual life, and we can be called your children, those who are called after your name, those who are in relationship with you because of your son, Jesus. Oh God, I pray this morning, if there are any of those who do not know you as their Savior, that God, through this message in 1 Samuel, through the testimony of the, of the <clears throat> faith and hope of Hannah, and through the convicting work of your Holy Spirit, that you would accomplish your work in hearts today. For those of us who know you as, as Lord and Savior, oh God, may we show the commitment to hope that we've been learning about in 1 Peter, and now we'll see in the life of Hannah. May her example, may her testimony be a challenge and an inspiration to us this morning. Moms and dads, boys and girls, old and young. And God, may we, like Hannah, commit ourselves to hope in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I would like to encourage uh, those of you who are women uh, 18 or older, there's a, there are cards in the back, <clears throat> two different colors, there's a green one, there's a pink one, whichever one you uh, prefer, and, um, but most importantly, inside there is um, this little envelope, um, a collection of uh, articles, encouraging words from the Bible uh, to women of all walks of life, whether you're single or married, whether you have kids or not, whether your kids are in the home or out of the home, you're a mother or a grandmother, whatever, it, whatever case might apply to you, I just want to encourage you to pick that up. We have ladies from our church who are in those walks of life, have experienced um, a, a different measure of God's encouragement to them through that walk of life, and they want to encourage you as well through uh, the word of God and just through their own experiences. So I'd, I'd encourage you, don't forget to pick that up. Guys, if you... Uh, haven't gotten your wife a Mother's Day gift? Hey, there's free, free, uh, free gift for you back there for your for your bride. I'm sure that won't be enough, but uh, <laughs> hopefully you're, you're you're celebrating mothers every day, not just on uh, on this day. <clears throat> well, this morning we're thinking about mothers. We're thinking about women, and um, it's always good for me to be encouraged. To, to know and to be reminded of the fact that the, that the Scripture celebrates godly women. We find from the Old to New Testament the account and the record of women who trusted in God and who, who stood head and shoulders above the people in their day to, to not only call the people to faith in their day, but to call us to faith. This morning we're going to be taking a look at Hannah, who is a model of hope for us. 
We find her story in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And so it goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, then 1 Samuel. Okay, so, so somewhere before the Psalms, somewhere after Genesis, and um, if you would begin to turn there with me, we'll be looking at that passage today. The thrust of the message today is, is really um, picking up where we left off over the last several weeks. We're talking about setting your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's 1 Peter 1.13. Our, our, our passage last week in chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 said, those who believe are those who have committed themselves to faith and hope which are in God. If you are one who believes in God, if you're one this morning who calls yourself a Christian, if you're one this morning who considers yourself a follower of Jesus, then you're one who needs to anchor your hope in God. Now sometimes that can seem somewhat mystical, somewhat elusive. How do we get down to the nitty gritty? How do, how do we make this real and practical? What, what does hope in God really look like? And I want you to know from Hannah's story that hope in God begins with prayer. Hope in God is, is anchored in prayer. And so this morning as we look at this passage, as we look at this story, I, I want you to realize that, that if you are one who really hopes in God, if you're one whose faith and hope are anchored in God, then you will be one who is committing your life to prayer. I love how Charles Bridges puts it when he says, all of our failures may be ultimately traced to a defect of faith. We ask, but for little. We expect little. We are satisfied with little, and therefore we gain and do but little. Well, Hannah will stand as a model for us today, a model of one who did not anchor their hope in personal efforts, efforts, but anchored their hope in the divine working, in the work of God, what God could accomplish in and through her. So this morning's message is really a, a call to that kind of hoping, that kind of hoping that, that rests itself in the working wonder of the great God that we have through prayer. Jesus was preeminently a person of prayer. And his disciples who were commissioned to preach and commissioned to plant the church and commissioned to be the ones who would help to, to spear the efforts of this new church movement did not ask Jesus, teach us to preach. He asked Jesus, they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. If we will be those who are believing in God, who are faithful to set our hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ, we will be also people who are preeminently known as those who pray and depend and hope in God for his working. So if you're in 1 Samuel chapter 1, let me just read the first couple of verses. And we're going to cover a lot of ground this morning. 
So bear with me as we work through uh, several verses. The, the goal of, of this morning's message is not so much to dig into the nitty-gritty, but just to, to give you a, a, a view of the landscape, as it were, and to call your attention to, to this theme of hope that, that shows up throughout this first chapter. That will be our theme as we work our way through. It says here in verse 1, it says, There was a certain man of Ramathim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This first point, I, I want to just draw your attention to the fact that we are called to hope, but you can hope in God, whoever you are. You can hope in God, whoever you are. Mother or father, boy or girl, young man, old man, young woman, old woman, you can hope in God, whoever you are. That's the point of these verses. Immediately, we come to unfamiliar territory. Ramathim, Zophim, oh, that familiar city, of course, in Ephraim. Yes, I know of that place. <laughs> we see a place that is unfamiliar, a place that is unknown, but it is uh, Rama for short, a, a, a city that was about 25 miles north of Jerusalem in this region that had been designated a, a heritage to the tribe of, of Ephraim. And we encounter uh, this man, a man who's described in two ways. He's described by his genealogy, and he's described by his tribe. His lineage, as we find, one who has been born of uh, Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, traces actually back not to Ephraim, but traces back to Levi. He was a son of Levi, a descendant of Kohath, the second son of Levi. But the lineage doesn't trace all the way back to Kohath. It leaves us at a, at a, at a place where we don't have the full story. And, and the purpose for the writer of Samuel, of this book, Samuel, was to help us to understand that God desires to accomplish a work independent of heritage independent of pedigree, independent of family lineage. God will accomplish his work to those who hope in him. So why was he called an, Ephra an Ephrathite? Why was he a person of Ephraim? Well, those who were Levites had no family uh, heritage. They, they were not designated or given any, any uh, land um, allotments in the promised land. And so the place, the region where they would stay would essentially adopt those families and they would be an inherited as part of, of, that, of, that, uh, of that tribe. So he was of the tribe of Ephraim. And if you know anything about Ephraim, you will understand it had a sordid history. And even though Ephraim and Manasseh were sons of Joseph, sons of uh, one who was known by God as, as, as one who was devoted to him, Ephraim and Manasseh departed from God. They were those who were known for their immorality and their rebellion against God. 
But even in this, we find, coming from this region, we find one, a family, Hannah and Elkanah, who were committed to the things of the Lord because they hoped in God. As you come to the end of verse 2, you notice something specific. You find that Elkanah comes not just by himself. As men were required to do from Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 to 17, Three times a year, the men were to come and present themselves at the appointed feast. There were three of them. They were to come alone, or they could come with their families. And here, Hannah is coming with Penina, Penina's children, her husband. They're coming to the temple. They're coming to the tabernacle, coming to the place of worship, coming to the place of prayer. They are putting their hope in God. Hannah, as a woman, shows her devotion to God, her worship of God, her hope in God by coming with her husband. I want you to know, whoever you are in this room today or watching on the live stream, you can, you can hope in God and you can enjoy relationship with God through faith in Christ, through worship of, of, of Jesus, devotion to him. There's only one there's only one um, ingredient, and that is faith and hope in him. You can enjoy dependence on God as you hope in him, whoever you are. We find also in uh, this context, it's, it's hard to see, but, but I want you to understand that you can hope in God in spite of dark days. You can hope in God in spite of dark days. If you drop down to verse three, you'll see that Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And those who are acquainted with this story will understand the kind of sordid uh, characters that they were. Verses 12 to 17 describes Eli's sons this way. The sons of Eli, it says, were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Eli, who is the high priest, and his two sons who will be carrying the mantle are described as worthless sons. The, the moral decay, the degradation of morality had, had decayed so much among these people in this day that they had almost wholly abandoned God in worship of him. We find descriptions even at the beginning of Judges of the people Judges chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says, And the people of Israel did evil in the eyes of the, of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger. We could go to chapter 3. We could, we could go to the other parts of Judges. We would see the character quality of this nation as rebelling against the Lord. It was a dark day. It was not unlike the day of Noah, where we find in Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of the man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it was not unlike the day of Isaiah. We find in Isaiah 5, 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And it's not unlike our own day. It's not unlike the darkness that we may be experiencing even in these days, but 
in dark days, you can still hope in God. Like Hannah, we have the same God. Like Hannah, we have access to the same power. And like Hannah, we have access to the same hope. Hope in God. We find in verse three, hope continues. Hope continues as the normal rhythm of life, the normal pattern of life. It says this, now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons, Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. Briefly, notice two things. First, notice the frequency. They came with regularity. They came with consistency. They, they made sure that as a family, they prioritized obedience to God in coming on the prescribed days. They built this into the rhythm of their life. Worship and sacrifice of God were built into the fabric of their obedience from year after year. And you, can, and you can bet that if they were willing and obedient in this way, they were faithful and consistent to build spirituality into their home from day to day, week by week. Second notice, they came to Shiloh. Now we are familiar with the temple being in Jerusalem. We're familiar with the, with the, the center of worship being in Judah. But here, it's in Shiloh because this was the place that Joshua, in Joshua 18.1, had set up the tent of meeting, which was also the tabernacle. It was put here because it was central to the other tribes and the other parts of Israel. So there, there was access for worship. And, and here we find Hannah, Elkanah, and the rest of the family coming at the right time to the right place. We hope in God as we honor the Sabbath day. We hope in God as we prioritize worship in the way that God has prescribed. I love the way that Martin Lloyd-Jones puts this. He says, always respond to every impulse to pray. The impulse to pray may come when you are reading or when you are battling with a text. I would make absolute law of this. Always obey such an impulse. And here you have Hannah and her family willing to obey and worship on the prescribed days and certainly willing to respond in the impulses to which God prompts there was prayer. Verse three also calls our attention to the fact that we need to hope in God through worship. Hope in God through worship. We see that here. This man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. God had prescribed a way, a means for access. He had given the people of Israel a, a way to, to enjoy fellowship in the presence of God. It, it came through the tabernacle. It came through sacrifice. It came through priests. It came as they presented a lamb, as they presented an atonement, a ransom, a redemption, blood for blood, life for life. The spotless lamb was gonna be a foreshadowing of the, of the precious lamb. The precious lamb that we've been studying about in 1 Peter, the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. They hoped in God as they rested in the means by which God had presented to them as a pathway into relationship. 
They didn't come on their own terms. They, they came in such a way that humbly submitted to the terms that had been set by God through sacrifice, through ransom. There is no other way to worship because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. Have you placed your faith, your confidence in Christ alone for salvation? Are you able to enjoy hope in God through relationship with God, through faith in Christ? Hannah, coming with her family, presented the sacrifice, worshiped in the right way, and showed that she hoped in God supremely. We find in verses four to seven that Hannah hoped in God in spite of intense opposition. She hoped in God in spite of intense opposition. Notice verses Verse two, it says, he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, and Hannah had no children. Now immediately, this is a foreshadowing. You, 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 if your warning bells are up, you begin to realize something is about to happen. Conflict is about to take place. Now, Hannah had two wives. Hannah, which would have been his first wife, but because she was barren, he would have married Penina, who was fruitful. Penina means jewel. We find more of the story in verses four to eight when it says this, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Though the Lord had closed her womb, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Penina was a pretty malicious character. Although her name means jewel, we find that she was a troubler. She, we find that she was one who provoked and insulted Hannah. She essentially rubbed it in the wounds. She did whatever she could to, to elevate Hannah's barrenness and to elevate her own fruitfulness. This word to provoke is to be angry. It's a state of strong displeasure. Uh, the, in the Hebrew, the, the word is actually in the pi'el tense, which, which elevates it even more to, in terms of intensity. And we find these two words, uh, provoke, provoke. They're side by side to, to help provide more emphasis to the fact of what was taking place here. This, was, this wasn't a, a casual insult. This was a, a nagging, consistent kind of provocation that was intended to throw it in Hannah's face. Notice verse six. She would provoke her grievously to irritate her. Notice in verse seven, it happened year by year, as often as they went to the house of the Lord. With each new child, and with each increasing portion given to, to Penina, there was a greater cause for insult and injury. Notice in verse seven, she would provoke her. This consistent theme of insulting and seeking to tear Hannah down the successive waves of insult and the seeming implication that's even written into the text. Verse five, the Lord had closed her womb. Verse six, the Lord had closed her womb. The implication, he's not for you. 
God doesn't care about you, Hannah. God has turned his back on you. He doesn't give a rip about your comfort. He doesn't want to answer your prayers. He doesn't care about your struggles, Hannah. But rather than listen to insults and being gripped by pain, Hannah turns to prayer. Hannah realizes that God is bigger than pain. God is bigger than circumstances and that God will use barrenness and struggles to accomplish his divine working. All she had to do is look back at Sarah, who was barren, to look back at Rebecca, who was barren, to look back at Rachel, who was barren, the wives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and and the work of God in establishing himself as the giver of life. Certainly, she was embracing that kind of hope in committing herself to trusting in God, hoping in God. Hannah's, Hannah's name means grace. And she set her hope fully on grace. The grace that God would give to her as giving her a son. The result we find in this chapter is a woman who hoped in God. It is described in, a, in a, her piousness, her devotion to God is described more in this chapter than anywhere else in the entire Old Testament. Hannah is portrayed as a pious woman more than any other woman in the Old Testament described here. We find her devotion to God in several ways. She's shown as giving or going to the Lord's house. No other woman in the Old Testament is described as going into the tabernacle like Hannah goes into the tabernacle. Not even Penina, who went up with the family, is, still seems to be on the outskirts, but Hannah is right in the center of it all, praying and hoping in God. Hannah is the only woman shown making and fulfilling a vow to the Lord in all of the scriptures. Hannah is the only woman who is specifically said to pray. Hannah, her prayer is among the longest recorded in the Old Testament. And her prayer includes the most recorded utterances of Yahweh's name by any woman. And she is shown as a person who hopes in God. 18 times in chapter 1, in chapter 2, Hannah puts her hope in Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. Her confidence is secure in the one who is able to accomplish the impossible for his people. She hopes in God. Through Hannah, the point is made that women of faith played a legitimate and even formative role in the shaping of Israel's history. Hannah's faith turned the tide of the period of judges by producing this transitional figure, Samuel. In verses 7 through 10, we find Hannah's hope continues. As she commits herself to prayer, we get to see the elements of her prayer, and I'm going to move through these quickly just to draw your attention to them. But she hopes in God in terms of faith and urgency. We see that here in, in chapters, or chapter 1, verse 7b. It says, because of the offense, because of the insults that Penina was giving, it says, Hannah wept and would not eat. There was a sense of sorrow and grief and pain, but there was, make no mistake, this was a, was a means of urgency. This was a means 
of dedication, committing herself to, to fasting and seeking and yearning for God to work. Hannah's infertility was no accident of nature. It was deliberate work of the Lord. There is an inescapable irony. The same God in the Torah who commanded fruitfulness is the same God who made Hannah incapable of fulfilling that command. But Hannah, in understanding this covenant-keeping God, presses in, hopes in God, and prays. Verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Do you see it? Do you see the urgency in her life? Do you see the tears and weeping, the fasting and praying, the deep wounds of Penina had not created discouragement that would keep her from hope, but pressed her in, amplified hope in trusting in God, looking to him for an answer. Hudson Taylor says this, the prayer power has never been tried to its full capacity. If we want to see mighty wonders of divine power and grace wrought in the place of weakness, failure and disappointment, let us answer God's standing challenge. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Do you hope in God? Are you seeking an answer from him? He is the one who has given his challenge. Call to me, and I will answer Hannah hopes in God. We see that her hope in God was the only means of help. She, God was the only rescue. He was the only one who could, who could intervene. Notice at the beginning of this verse, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts. Hannah's prayer was specifically addressed to the omnipotent deliverer of those in distress, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. Her pain had made her a theologian. <laughs> no character in scripture prior to Hannah had ever used this term to address the Lord. She recognizes, as Jesus does in the, in the model prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hannah looks to God as the only answer for prayer. I love how Martin Luther puts this. He says, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness, recognizing that he is the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. He can deliver. Verse 11 also helps us see that she hoped in God with specific requests. She comes to God with details. She says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant but will give to your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Her prayer is specific. God, give me not just a child. Give me a son. And Lord, don't just give me a son. Give me a son that I can commit back to you to service to yourself forever, for the rest of his life. I want a son, not for me. I want a son so I can present him back to you. Your gift to me presented back as a gift to you. God, I want to please you with the fruit of the womb. I want to be able to please you with the, the, gift, the good gifts of this son. Her desire was not for herself. Her desire 
was so that God would be magnified. In her barrenness, she prays for God to do a mighty work. She prays to him with specific requests, not general requests, but but presses in and asks God to do a specific work. We find in verse 12 that she hopes in God and doesn't give up. She hopes in God and doesn't give up. We find in verse 12 she continued praying before the Lord. We find her prayer earlier in the chapter. We find this continued praying, her weeping and crying out to God, asking for help. You can better believe that year after year her heart was given to prayer. She's praying again. She's not giving up. She's laying hold of God, asking for the Lord of hosts to intervene. She is like what we find in Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Jesus, in a parable in Luke 18, 1, commends this kind of earnestness and continual praying when he says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. George Mueller says, it's not enough to begin to pray nor to pray aright, nor is it enough to continue for a time to pray, but we must pray uh, patiently, believingly, continuingly in prayer until we obtain an answer. Most frequently we fail in not continuing in prayer until the blessing is obtained and in not expecting the blessing to happen. And if you know anything about George Mueller's life, you will know a man who is committed in faith and got to see God answer because of his believing, continuing, persistent heart in trusting God. Verse 13, we find hope in God with all your heart. We find in verse 13, Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved. In her explanation to to Eli, uh, at the end of verse 15, we find, I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Her hope in God is represented not in a formula of words, not in argumentation, not in seeking to convince God of something great, but trusting and anchoring her heart in hoping in him alone. Hoping in him even without words. (laughs) Hoping in him in desperation and, and asking for him to accomplish his work in her life. And certainly God understood the words of her heart. We find in Romans chapter eight that the the spirit groans for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And this is the kind of desperate longing that Hannah shows, a a desire for God to be magnified and to, to do something great on her behalf. Verses 18 to 20 help us to see we can hope in God and believe he will answer. Verse 17 says this, Then Eli answered, Go in peace. And the God of Israel will grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate. Her face was no longer sad. Uh, They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. And they went back to their home at Ramah. 
the, prophet, the prophetic uh, witness of Eli had said that she would have this son. She believed that God would answer. And she shows a confidence in God by leaving and going to her home in worship, in praise, in refreshment, in, in, uh, in eating. A way of representing the, the urgency was over. The request had been given. Her prayer had been answered. And she, we find... God does, in fact, answer her prayer. The end of verse 19, Elkanah knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. God had heard her prayer, and she gives Samuel that namesake. God has heard. It was a it was a reference to her, her prayers that had essentially birthed her son and the divine work of God in, in giving her an answer in his kindness, his mercy had given her an answer. And finally, we need to hope in God and keep our promises. Verses 24 to 28. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a, three, a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull. They brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he, that is Samuel, worshiped the Lord there. Hannah prayed to God. She hoped in God. She trusted God. She made a vow to God that she would commit Samuel to ministry, lifelong ministry, and she fulfilled this vow. She kept her promise. She followed through. And her reward was that God not only met her need, but that God addressed his own need in in calling a prophet Samuel to begin this transitional work of, of transitioning this morally bankrupt people from the judges to the time of the kings and in helping to point forward to the Messiah in anointing David in establishing this new messianic seed that would come through the Davidic Davidic line. God had accomplished his power through Hannah's prayer. Hannah, although she was a woman, was useful to God and formative in shaping Israel's history because she was a woman of faith. And God has given us the same kind of access to him, hope in him through prayer. And as we commit ourselves, as Hannah did to prayer, we will see God accomplish great things. Let's pray. Lord, I understand, in, even in my own life, how powerful prayer can be, but how seldom prayer happens, at least the way it should happen. So there's no wonder why we see so little take place around us. There's no wonder why we see so little of your working in presence because we're not asking you to show up. 
So God, I pray for every man and woman and boy and girl in this room. First of all, that you will usher them into relationship with you so that we can have the kind of relationship that, that establishes confidence before the throne of the Almighty God, the Lord of hosts. And that as we have that great confidence, that we, like Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 14, that, 17, that we can call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each man's work. Thank you, oh God, for the privilege of being able to call on your name. May we do that faithfully and consistently. May, that we, do, may, that, may we do that um, as the first course of our day instead of working through solutions on our own, trusting and hoping in God. Like Hannah, setting our hope fully on grace through prayer. And may we see the wonder-working God accomplishing miracles all around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming this morning. Happy Mother's Day.